Hello everyone, welcome to the Melting Pot podcast. I'm your host Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is as a result of my hunger for optimizing business performance, scaling up organizations, corporate culture, customer addiction, building high-performing teams, along with a few other obsessions along the way. I've spent the last several years working for and with some of the most successful top-performing companies in the world. And this podcast is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way to help you build a high-quality business and live a more fulfilling life. If you enjoy the podcast, you can find more information on today's episode and other topics at dominicmonkhouse.com. Today, I'm talking to Tristan White, a man who now runs a physiotherapy empire in Australia. We talk about where he started. He was thinking he was going to be the physio running onto the field for the Aussie Rules football team that he supports. But sort of by accident, he found that he got joy and satisfaction from enabling the mobility of of seniors. And so here we are, his team of 150 now, part-time and full-time physios across Australia, has treated almost 2 million Australian seniors. He's just at the end of his sort of 10-year vision and he's set a new goal. And we talk about what's, what's happened along the way, some of the, some of the pitfalls he's overcome. Uh, we talk a little bit about uh, his book, Culture is Everything. Uh, he's been growing 35%, on average 35% a year, year on year for 10 years to get from where he started, just him, through his initial challenges of hiring one and then two employees. And in fact, his second employee is still with him on his executive team all these years later. So fantastic story. I really enjoy talking to him. Uh, I recommend both his book and his podcast. I hope you enjoy it. I'm Tristan White, founder and CEO of The Physio Co., and author of Culture Is Everything. Very good. Look, thanks for jumping on the phone to me from Melbourne and agreeing to do this. So why did you write a book? I think there's two reasons. One is to document the first decade of my uh, of my learning and my career as an entrepreneur. I think that was, it was really important, not only mine, but also the, the journey of the Physio Co, which is a business I founded in 2004. And, uh, and we've been growing from a one-person business, which was just me. Physiotherapy for older people is is what we do. And that's grown significantly. We've now got 150-odd folks in our team right now. So documenting that journey was really important. But the second part, Dom, is that the Physio Co has won a lot of awards as being a great place to work. And I've been obsessive about learning how to, how to build a great place to work and a strong culture. And people started asking me, how do you do it? How do you build a strong culture? And a great place to work. And I used to give them this long, drawn-out answer that made sense to me, but made absolutely no sense to anyone else. And so documenting that system and putting into a four-step process is part of what, what happened in my mind. It became a blog post, and then it evolved into a book to share this idea of how you can build a great place to work and a strong culture in a scale-up business. It's your hope, then, that other people on the similar journey could just do it quicker? Did it, when you look back, did it take a long time? Entirely. It, it, it took so long and so many painful mistakes that I've got as, I don't want to say they're war stories, but they're sort of war stories. Uh, but the beauty of the book is here are the best bits. Here are the things that I've learned that have worked. You don't have to make the painful mistakes that we've been through to get there. So in, entirely, it's to speed people up on their, on their growth journeys. 
And so how do you maybe start here? How do you define culture then? Culture to me is quite simply the behaviours that are alive in a business, um, whether there's supervision or not supervision. And that might seem a pretty simple definition, but the reality is that we've all got a culture in a business. There's either a culture by default, uh, which is when you just let it happen. And usually managers and leaders end up being reactive and firefighting all day and all night if you've got a culture by default because no one's um, behaving by a set of agreed behaviours or a culture by design where you actually define exactly the way that we're going to do things around here and we give people freedom within boundaries but we really do make it clear as to what's expected around here and um, a culture by design is what the what the book is all about what are your behaviors in your business the way i like to explain the freedom within boundaries type of approach dom is that some um, if you picture a house a, a little hand drawing of a house with a with a, with a peaked roof so you've got the, the floor of the house, you've got the two walls and then a peaked roof. And I reckon that the core purpose of an organisation, why it exists, is, is like the floor of the house. And the core purpose of the Physio Co is that we exist to help seniors stay mobile, safe and happy. Uh, and then, Dom, there's the walls of the house, which are the core values, which is the behaviours that we do, um, we do really do expect. And at the Physio Co, our core values are respect everyone, be memorable, think big, act small, and find a better way. And they're the walls of the house. And then finally, the peaked roof of the house is effectively the vision as to where we're headed in the future. And we have that on a um, three-year and a 10-year timeline is the way we go about it. But the space within that house there is effectively people can have, dare I say, at the run of the house as long as they're behaving and living in a way that lives our core purpose, behaves in a way aligned with our values and helps us move towards our vision of the future. And so how do you go, when you go to market for new talent, do you advertise? Does it come through word of mouth? A bit of both. Uh, we definitely advertise and, and we're so clear on the fact that we are looking for people who either are interested or willing to work with older people to help them stay mobile, safe and happy, either from a clinical perspective, working um, with older people as, as a clinician or in our support team to support the clinicians who are doing the work. It's a non-negotiable non that we have to be aligned to the core purpose and the values are important as well. But Dom, yes, we advertise. We've got a pretty extensive university recruitment program through the universities here in Australia. And we also have got a referral network of our existing clinicians and alumni uh, forever sending people in our, in our direction as well. No, well, I guess I was going to go on and say, how do you, do you, how do you link that in? But you said you, you're absolutely clear about the purpose and that if you, if you can't, if the purpose doesn't excite you, you're not the right place. Entirely. And, but Dom, there are physiotherapy graduates who join our team who haven't got experience directly working um, with older people, but they may have had experience or exposure in their training. And often, this is not what I expected, Dom, but often we, we attract people who have actually had a caring role or responsibility with their grandparents or with older people in their lives, in their community, that they've come across and they've really um, got that empathy for older people. And, and then they see an opportunity to join a community, which is the physio co, to help them to really live, live their professional skill, but also in an in a environment that suits them. Is this where you envisaged you were going to be? When did you start the business? I started in 2004, and no is the answer. <laughs> Shall I give you the quick backstory? That would be fab, yeah. When I started the business in 2004, I was a 24-year-old, recently graduated physiotherapist 
from uni here in Melbourne. And Dom, when I was at uni, I had this 10 year dream, if you will, that I was gonna finish uni, I was gonna start working as a junior physio in a teaching hospital. I was going to progress to hopefully a senior physio with an interest in musculoskeletal conditions. So that's necks and backs and knees and the like. Hopefully I'll progress to work in private practice and elite sports physiotherapy is where I hoped to head. My favorite AFL football team, the mighty Richmond Tigers, were clearly going to need me to dash out onto the field to help out their um, their star players, Dom. But that's where I thought I was going. But I, I had a an early head versus heart challenge. And that is that um, I didn't think that I could stomach the idea of, of working in the large teaching hospitals as a junior physio. So I skipped forward on the plan to work in, in private practice quickly in my career. And I had another head versus heart challenge thinking, do I really get the professional satisfaction from helping people get from athletes, get from 90% right to 100% right so they can run faster, jump higher, tackle harder? Or how about that great work I did with older people where I could actually help them stay living at home and be independent and mobile. And Dom, I just loved the fact that I could help older people. And I was embarrassed as hell though, because I didn't want to tell anyone that I was going to work with older people. Because I told the world, or the world as I knew it, that elite sports physiotherapy was going. So, mate, I fell into older people physiotherapy, and I fell into this world as, as an entrepreneur, but I've, I've embraced it and, and giving it my best shot so far. <laughs> That's fantastic. You tell the world about this, this vision, and then, and then secretly... You're off over here, rehabilitating old people. <laughs> it's the secret, the secret old person rehabilitator over here. What did you get out of working with the old people that, you know, you just decided you weren't going to get out of elite, elite athletes? There must be some stories there. There's plenty of stories there, but I guess, Dom, there's two parts that I didn't realise at the time. There's the professional physiotherapy part of me that really... I think my ego was was important to me back then, and maybe it still is, Dom, and that is that I wanted to feel like I was making a difference. And when an athlete had an injured ankle or injured calf and I was treating them multiple times per week to get them back onto the field, it felt like they were going to get back onto the field anyway. Maybe I just got them back one week earlier than what they would. And, and that was important to them, but it wasn't so important to me. Whereas... Um, with the older people, I, I really did feel like the older people I work with are so grateful. And if I was able to help someone to be able to relearn how to get out of their chair at home, because some, sometimes people have a fall or they get sick and they forget the basics of how to move effectively. I could re-teach them how to do that. And then all of a sudden, instead of relying on other people to help them out with basic everyday stuff at home, we've got people who are independent and have got smiles back on their face because they can do what they want to do. That was the professional part, Dom. But I think there's the entrepreneurial part that I didn't realise. And that was, it was a blue ocean of opportunity to build a business which um, revolved around my passion, my beliefs in how teams should work together. And also aged care physiotherapy was a, was a, a real starting point in, in those days 15 years ago. So I think that was part of it as well. And so uh, there was just you. You obviously did better than that. Typically people get, I don't know, 10 to 12, maybe 15 people and get through a million dollars. You got through that. Do you hit some brick walls along the way? What, what were they? What, at what point did you, did you go, oh, shit? So, oh shit, sort of most weeks for the first few years, Don. <laughs> <laughs> but look, there's a real 
few milestones for me. One was employing my first team member. Uh-huh. I was a, a young physiotherapist. Like, how on earth was I to know how to how to employ people? And, and so that was um, that was a big leap of faith for me. And I didn't get it right um, immediately. And I actually released a podcast episode last week, Dom, which told the story of the first couple of the employees, the first one who wasn't aligned to the core purpose and the second one who was more aligned to the core purpose and who would have thought the first one lasted for a couple of months and the second employee who um, aligned with our core purpose is now part of my executive team 14 years later. Quite an amazing story. But Dom, I think the biggest sticking point for me was, was about five years in, I had about 20 team members. And at that point, I didn't have the foundations of purpose and values and vision in place. I was really a reactive supervisor at that point, I reckon. I was spending all day and all night responding to emails and phone calls. I felt really stuck. And that's the moment where I took a short sabbatical, actually left Melbourne here in Melbourne, headed up to North America, researched some seniors healthcare businesses, came back with a clear idea as to the idea of how a, a culture could be the driving force behind aligning a team. And I've obsessively put those learnings into place over a long period of time. And that's got us from 20 team members 10 years ago to more than 150 now, which has helped us to grow through those barriers. What was the inspiration behind doing sort of a North American study trip? I've always had my eye on what I can learn from different industries and different countries. And North America... Firstly, because seniors healthcare businesses were, were more established in, in North America at that stage. So I think it was in, that was part of it. And secondly, I'd recently, at that stage, I'd just discovered the support network or the, or the organization called EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. Oh, okay. And I'd also just started uh, following the work of Bernd Harnish. And, and he had pointed me towards a number of examples of, of businesses in, um, in North America. So I, I think the influence of Vern and EO, as well as the maturity of the industry, I suppose, Tom. Ah, so it gave you, you had that new network that you could tap into and go and visit. The reason I asked the question is because I have a, I work with an organization, Sydney-based organization called Macquarie Telecom. And I met them many years ago when they were doing a study trip to the US. And I just wondered whether it was a, a much more common Australian thing to leave the country, uh, go looking for inspiration than, because it's not the type of thing that in the UK people go, maybe the market's slightly larger and there are some good examples, but that whole going and meeting people where there's no competitive threat, it's very useful. I think also, Dom, down here in Australia, we, we are so far removed from many parts of the world that traveling to connect and traveling to learn is part of what we do. So I think perhaps that's a, that's the difference between um, when you guys being so close to many other countries, whereas us, we've, we've got a, a fair hike to, to look around. <laughs> Indeed. So you went, you went to the US, you saw a load of stuff. What did you, what was on your notepad to bring back? Did you have a sort of top three, top five, top 10? What couple of things there, Dom, and the, the two, the high, top two on the list was this idea of a set of really clear core values that were alive and well and used to attract people, used to select people, used to onboard people, used to reward them and to recognize and dare I say, redirect them when they're, mm-hmm. when they're not living up to those expectations. So I think I've been drafting out what might be a mission statement and a vision statement and, and core values for the PhysioCo, not because I knew why, but because I thought I didn't have a real business until I had those things. And I thought I'd just smack them on a website or smack them on the wall and jobs right, um, that piece is done. Uh, I realized I was so far off the mark 
with that view. And there was a business that I visited, an EO-related business in Vancouver, Canada, and it was called Nurse Next Door. Some oh, wonderful yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So John DeHart and Ken Sim were the two founders of Nurse Next Door. They opened me in with open arms to their headquarters, which they call their heart quarters. And they showed me around and, and I saw their culture and their values in action. And that was a really powerful um, learning from me. And, and we've been doing something similar ever since. So values was the first thing on the list. And secondly, clarity of vision as to where we're headed. And Jim Collins talks about the big, hairy, audacious goal being the North Star into the future. Um, and that's really important in my experience, knowing where you're headed over a long period of time. But then Cameron Herald is someone who talks about a vivid vision or, or a three-year painted picture vision, which is what the future looks like in just three years from now. And I think most team members and employees can really visualise that and work towards a three-year vision much better than they can visualise a 10-year um, horizon. What is your BHAG? We call it a 10-year obsession. And from 2009 to 2018, we had a goal to deliver 2 million consultations to Australian seniors uh-huh. to help them stay mobile, safe and happy. We started from a close to a standing start and we had to grow at 35% per year, year on year on year to arrive there. And we had some great years and we had some bumpy years and we landed at about 1.62 million consults after 10 years and we'll deliver close to 400,000 this year. So effectively, it's going to be 11 years to hit our 10-year goal. I reckon it's all right. Oh, man. It is, <laughs> you know, look, anything more than three years is just a complete guess. So it's, if you'd start, when you, if you look back now and put yourself back in your shoes in 2009 and said, look, we could, we'll get there at 11, not 10. I mean, you've got to call that a victory, haven't you? What did you, what did, well, you've got to run around, you've got to you know, run naked around the block for that. I mean, that's just amazing stuff. We are still tracking it and we are going to celebrate it when we do actually. Ah, okay, right. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you're still in the process of coming up with the next 10 years or have you already, you, you already locked that down? We've locked that down. And uh, what we've learned from the first 10 years was that first 10-year obsession was a, was a wonderful goal for us to grow our business and grow the house and to scale up. But it was about input. And what I mean by that, it was about hands on our clients and delivering consultations but we've got no idea how valuable or what the outcome of those consultations were. And so we've now looked at it from a different view and our next 10 year obsession, it's actually a similar number. It's 2.029 million, a very specific number, but it's 2.029 million seniors goals that have been achieved. Every one of our senior clients, we sit with them, we listen, we understand what's important to them. We set a goal which might take between four and 12 weeks for them to set a health goal. And then we work with them to be able to bring that goal to life. And for the next 10 years, we're focused on bringing those, those goals to life to help our senior smashing goals is our, is our new hashtag. That's fantastic. And to get there, 150, does it become 300? Does it become a thousand? What's the... It's more in the vicinity of about 500 or, okay. or thereabouts. It's about 500. However, it's so much about the quality of the training of the of our team members and their skill in setting a goal with a with client, which is the right goal for the moment. And then depending on what the future aspirations of that person is, there may well be another goal that we set with that same client, which will move them to the next step. Or it might be someone who has had a fall, has an injury, they've got a short-term goal to get moving again. We help them with that and then we set them free um, to do what they choose. But there, there may well be some multiple goals with the same client. 
150 today, 500 in the future. What what does that put you in your in your niche? Are you the largest employer of physios, or would 500 make you the largest? We'd be pretty close at, at 500. So at, at 150, we're certainly in the in the middle of the band. A lot of allied health businesses are, are relatively small clinics. And Dom, you asked me before about way back to the start. And when I started the physio. I did have an aspiration that I'd build a team, but I thought it would be like a six to 10 person team, like your typical private practice on the on suburb, the corner of a suburban street sort of, sort of thing. I, I didn't think that I'd have 150 people and uh, be on a podcast to you talking about 500 in the future. <laughs> uh, but that's sort of where we're, we're headed. And yeah, that would become one of the larger health organisations here in Australia. And I suppose reasonably recently, you've gone through the sort of Dunbar number where... You know, people can't place in their heads the relationship of everybody inside the organization with everybody else. What have you done to make sure, do, you, do people deploy in small teams? Is there, or what have you done to keep the business cohesive? It's certainly a decentralized model, Dom, and that is that we've got one small little support office in South Melbourne, which is where administration happens. But the most of our team members are out and about around the country helping older people in aged care homes and retirement villages and people's own homes. And the way they're organised, we've got about 10 geographical teams and and that number continues to grow, but team leaders or or middle managers and those 10 team leaders are responsible for a small team of between 10 and 20 team members. We like to try not to go past the equivalent of 10 full-time people in a small team. Uh, We have got quite a few part-timers that work just a few days a week. And that's why the, the number of people in a team can be bigger than, um, than, than 10 people, but effectively equivalent of 10 full-timers. So clinicians around the country organised into groups with a team leader, and then those team leaders were um, reporting through my executive team. What are some of the things that you've learned along the way that you, you think, I wish I'd known that a little bit earlier. And you, you said you've put some of these down in the book but you know what? Maybe we share some of them with people. Yeah. So, so the one thing that's I think has served me really well, but also has been one of my challenges, Dom, and that is that um, I reckon there's a bit of a continuum, if you will, and that is that at one end, um, leaders can be focused on the caring for their people in in their team, and um, and you can spend as much time caring about the personal and professional lives of your team. And at the other end, there is business performance and financial performance of, of the business. And if you spend all of your time at the performance end of the continuum, then there's very little time and, and effort or, or bandwidth for caring for and listening to to your people. I've naturally, whether it's my personality, whether it's my professional healthcare background, I spend much more time at the people end. But then at times when we've had challenges and bumps in the road, I've almost immediately overnight dumped that view and moved straight to the performance end to try and make sure that we've got cash flow to continue to um, grow the business. And I reckon if I'd understood this continuum and realized I needed to find my sweet spot somewhere in the middle of that continuum, and of course be a caring, empathetic leader, but at the same time, ask more of my team members to help us them to grow, but also to help us grow the business and to get better business performance. I reckon that would have been something that would be, um, would be pretty powerful for me uh, years ago. What do you measure in the business? What's your, you, you've talked about that sort of the new BHAG around senior outcomes, but you know, on a day-to-day basis, you, how do you keep score? So we've got regular dashboards, which I review. So there's financial dashboards. So the number one job of a business owner, in my, my view, uh, Dom, is to stay in business. 
and uh, because you can't you can't have an impact on the world unless you stay in business. And uh, more money in than out is the foundation of staying in business from a financial perspective. So I've learned to watch the gross margin of our business is really important. The amount of billable time that, we're, that we've got versus the amount of non-billable time are, are important financial metrics. But you know what, Dom? All that falls into place, in my view, if we've got a really high ENPS or employee net promoter score and, uh-huh. and a really high engagement of our team. So finding the right people, training them, selecting them well, and continuing to challenge them and support them results in my experience, in those financial and, and long-term goals, including seniors' goals being achieved, coming to life when, when we get the ideas. Dare I say it, I wrote the book, but culture is everything is the foundation, is the starting point there. Um, you, you talked there about EMPS and engagement. So you ask the you ask the question, would you recommend PhysioCo to friends and colleagues as a sort of net promoter? Do you use any other tools to measure engagement? or The EMPS for employees and the NPS or net promoter score for our clients is certainly what some of we use. One really regular external tool we use, and, and Dom, I know you've got experience with this too, is the great place to work annual survey or annual study. For listeners, it's a third party organization that will do a survey of your workforce. And we've been doing that for 10 years. And we've been very lucky, Dom, that for the last 10 years, the PhysioCo has been ranked as one of Australia's 50 best places to work. And that's as a result of that study and that survey. So yes, we use that one externally. We use ENPS internally. And we also make sure we've got a rhythm of connection. The team leaders and team members not only connect for daily huddles at that short, sharp daily call, uh, weekly calls, but a quarterly sit down face-to-face to make sure that we are setting the, the challenges and the goals for each person. Uh, you talked earlier about uh, the sort of EO network and, and Vern helping you out with some intros. Do you have a favourite Rockefeller habit? You know, you look at the list of 10 and you go, when we did that one, that one, you know, really made a difference. Can I choose two? Yeah, of course you can. Yeah, sure. <laughs> We're making up the rules as we go along. It's fine. The first one that I reckon has been really powerful for a long time for us is the short, sharp daily huddle rhythm of communication. I think there's a real power in connecting, especially with dispersed teams who are all over the place geographically, to come together and to really share, share a win, share a challenge and be connected to your team to get really alignment is, is, a, real, is a real strength. We've been serving us really well. Something that we've added more recently is the use of um, a quarterly theme and having a real short, sharp sprint, if you will, because in business, we don't have, go- there's very rarely goalposts uh, and there's very rarely a finish line. And so to put a, an 11 week sprint as something that we're really focused on achieving in the next quarter or X number of periods and then have a celebration at the end of that period is something I've really learned. As an example, Dom, as we're getting off the ground with this um, new BHAG of, of seniors setting and achieving their goals um, in the quarter just before Christmas last year, our theme was to make sure that we would got to the number of 600 meaningful goal plans for our senior clients that have been created, set and put into our tracking system. So we were off to a start on our new goal of, of helping seniors set and achieve their meaningful goals. And that just gets everybody lined up, doesn't it? It's just, um, it, the, it was interesting. The, we did themes like that when I was at Rackspace, but the, when I turned up at IT Lab and we had three months three months to save the company, then, you know, that was when I really understood the power of, of a quarterly theme. You can really get people lined up. 
And from my experience, Dom, that's where they started. Well, it was Jack Stack, um, the great game of business, in, um, was one of the foundations of, of that to save his organization in, in the States. Is, is that not true, Dom? Is that your that, that, Yeah, that's right. They, 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 well, they had, uh, they had an order, didn't they, for, for tractors, and they just had to get meet the goal. But, I mean, you look, you go back and there's all the stories about Bethlehem Steel and, you know, chalking up on the floor, how many... How many did you? How many did you do? And the night shift beat the day shift. But the great game of business. Just thinking about it as a game, as you say, with finish lines and and what are the rules and keeping score. And and twelve months is just it's just too far out. It is, and even Dom, as as a, um, our executive team are the, are the people who help to set and and drive these themes. So a year is clearly fifty two weeks. A quarter of that is thirteen weeks. Uh, but we we actually have eleven week sprints. And, and why we do that is eleven weeks. To from the start of the quarter through to middle of the third month of the quarter. And then we have a moment to catch our breath and to hopefully celebrate that theme. And then we have one week to plan the next 11-week sprint and away we go again. That's the method we use. That's interesting. There's a, there's a business I've done some work with in the past in the UK and he runs his entire business on four-week months. So he gets 13 months in the year. The thing is, what it means for him is that his year end, his month end is not calendar month end so his sales team are pushing for a month end number often and it's not lined up with the calendar so the customers the customers don't think oh look it's the last day of the month that's why this guy's giving me a hard time but just but i like that 11 11 not 13 just to give you uh obviously calibrate that but it just it just means people aren't running flat out all the time you've got that chance to push and then catch your breath as you say very very good so look um knowing what you know now which is loads, scars, scars, pain. What's the thing if you went back in time that you say, oh man, I just, I wish I'd known that then. Maybe there's two. <laughs> I'll, choose, I'll choose one, Dom. It's related to the idea that as a leader, I needed to learn to become firmer faster. And I think that um, as a leader, I was, I was I'm a caring uh, leader, but I, I think I didn't, communicate clearly enough. I didn't choose to be courageous enough to lean in and redirect people when they weren't necessarily living the values and behaviours that we needed. I think that that's something that I can still get better at, but I reckon I'm much better than I used to be, but leaning in firmer, faster to our team members, because by me having a suggestion as to how things could be done better and not sharing it because I'm not courageous enough is not serving that person very well either. So I think that's a really important learning for me. It's hard, isn't it? it being, uh, being direct with people is difficult. We, we, I think our entire, well, the culture of the world in which we live and then probably, you know, you go to school and people say, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything and all of that sort of, I do a lot of coaching with clients around that and it's just fascinating. You know, 70% of people will often say that they'll tell somebody that they have spinach in their teeth. But then I say, what about if the person comes to work and they're a bit smelly? You know, they've got some BO it drops to maybe 20 or 30% of people would even think about having a conversation in service of the other person. People find it difficult. Um, and yet, Dom, if I'm that smelly person who turns up to work for some reason, I want to know about it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that, <laughs> totally. Uh, I want to know about it as quickly as possible because I do not want to be a smelly person. <laughs> but for whatever reason, people are making about themselves and not about the people that they're serving. Yes, indeed. So... The book, your book is uh, Culture is Everything, available from all, all major booksellers. What other books along the way made a difference to you or 
that you think other people should read? I'd like to mention two. I think I've chosen that a couple of times already, Dom, so I'll stick with that theme. The one little book, which is a 30 or 40 minute read, which I've revisited a number of times and I've used in education with my, my managers as well, is a little book called, it used to be called The One Minute Manager. It's been updated to now be called The New One Minute Manager uh, <laughs> by uh, Ken Blanchard. And interestingly, Dom, the new one minute manager updated language uses the term redirect as the language to redirect or, or to redirect. And it was, I forget the term now, what it used to be called. Do you remember what it was, Dom? I can't, I can't remember what it is, no. No. But that's a, that's a good book, yeah. Yeah, it is it's a good book. So it's a short little read and it's got some one minute goal setting, um, one minute praising and one minute redirect. So the three really important things. And, and I use them every day of my life. And um, and to become firmer faster, I realize I need to redirect people as opposed to um, any other scary stuff that might be slowing me down. That's the first one. And secondly, I'm a big, big, big Jim Collins fan. His most famous work is Good to Great, um, which again, we've studied at the Physio Co. Our, our team has studied the transitions from good to great organizations by reading that book as a book club book. But there's other Jim Collins books as well. Great by Choice is, a, is another excellent book to, to check out as well. And so what's your hedgehog concept? You know, you love the sort of mobility seniors. And what are you being best in the world at? Yeah, so best in the world at is, is certainly helping seniors stay mobile, safe and happy. But what we have to be careful of in our, in our industry, Dom, and this is a challenge in itself because um, healthcare professionals are caring people and we like to serve everyone, but we need to be very careful. We don't serve everyone at the detriment of not making money and staying in business. And so we're focused on older people who are willing to invest in their health to get the best outcome they can for their life and their um, independence. Fantastic. Tristan, thank you very much indeed for sharing your journey and some book recommendations with us. Thank you very much indeed. You're welcome, Dom. Nice to chat. All this information and more can be found at dominicmonkhouse.com forward slash podcast. There you'll find show notes, additional reading and links related to this episode. You can also find my blog and the past editions of the Melting Pot newsletter. The simplest thing to do is to sign up to my subjectively not crap once a week newsletter, where I'll update you on what I've been up to, the most interesting articles I've read, and all things relating to scaling up, high-performing teams, net promoter score, company culture, etc. Social, you can find me on Twitter at Dom Monkhouse and LinkedIn at Dominic Monkhouse. LinkedIn is probably the best way to reach me and share your questions and comments. Thanks for listening.